We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Six minutes uh, after six o'clock, and uh, J.R. Davis from the Gilmore Group and Seth Mays from the uh, GOP here in Arkansas join me as they do every Thursday morning for a couple hours. Guys, this story about Hunter Biden and uh, this computer that was dropped off at a Delaware computer shop to be fixed uh, continues to get more and more interesting. I just saw Rudy Giuliani on Maria Bartoloma's morning report, and they say they have a email of uh, Hunter talking to his sister saying that he was tired of supporting the family and tired of this whole, you know, if you make, whatever you make, 50% of it goes to the dad. I mean, this is some really damning stuff that suddenly is is popping up, and uh, I guess you you got to say this is the big October surprise that everybody wondered when it would show up, and uh, evidently uh, yesterday is is when it uh, when it shows up. Evidently, the owner of this computer shop says that uh, this computer was dropped off to be worked on. Uh, the gentleman's name, John Paul MacIsaac, says he has a condition that affects his vision, and he can't be 100% sure that it was Hunter Biden who dropped off the computer for repair. But he said he contacted the FBI out of concern, uh, and because it was stuff that he saw on the computer, because it hadn't been picked up, wasn't picked up, been sitting there for a while, and now this stuff is coming out. That it's uh, Hunter Biden emails is, uh, I guess, indisputable. Uh, there's pictures as well, Giuliani said. And he said, what we heard yesterday uh, from it about uh, the, the emails to his father about meeting the uh, Burisma executives uh, while, oh, while he was over there in the Ukraine is only the the beginning of this that there's a lot more that's uh, is going to uh, to come out so this looks uh looks really interesting but other things look interesting about this is that you've got twitter facebook and google all suddenly you know uh covering up it looks like to me uh 
for uh, Joe Biden's campaign by not releasing any of this information when the uh, dossier came out uh, against Trump. Uh, you could post anything you wanted to about the president uh, dealing uh, with the supposedly, uh, you know, money taken from the Soviets and the Soviets uh, involved in our elections and all the rest. When we found out now that wasn't the case at all and that the person behind that whole uh, information uh, was Hillary Clinton herself. Guys, this is this is uh, this is getting really, really interesting now, and it's it's starting to show how how deep the swamp really goes. Uh, Seth, what do you think? Yeah, good morning, Dave. You know, this obviously everybody's attention. You know, yesterday for the most part was on the Supreme Court, but this, as you said, I think has the potential to be the October surprise. My only hesitation, of course, with with Rudy Giuliani is with the text message in the picture is that millions of people are already voting. So if this material exists, we need to see it absolutely now because the number of people voting only ticks up, you know, day by day. Um, But just the headline of this alone, I'm holding my copy of the Democrat Gazette today here in Arkansas, and it's on page three. I don't have any doubt that it isn't going to crawl its way up to the front page uh, by the time we get to the election. So this is a, a very serious issue. Um, of course, the Biden campaign has, has chosen to ignore it, as they traditionally do, except with one statement yesterday that didn't really address any of the facts. It's no. sort of sort of just the categorical denial that Joe Biden has done, which is my son uh, had done nothing wrong. Nobody would ever even think he did anything wrong. There's nothing really to follow. And, well, that doesn't suffice. There, There is plenty to follow. So... Uh, you, you mentioned some of the social media networks and mainstream media networks that um, were censoring coverage of this. Jack Dorsey, the head of Twitter, said, hey, listen, we, we missed on this. We completely got this wrong. The issue when people get things wrong like this, it's sort of like when Candy Crowley chastised Mitt Romney in that debate with Barack Obama over what happened in Benghazi, and she wasn't correct on the facts. She later issued a correction, but it didn't matter because the initial shot of that attack uh, was lessened by her statement, which was false. And so when some of these platforms censor this story, they've already, uh, in in a number of American uh, minds, already censored the idea that this is anything by taking it down. So as this continues to unfold, some people are going to say, well, I saw that Twitter was blocking this, and so I just really don't know what to believe. And that that is extremely unfortunate, and it shows the bias that exists in Silicon Valley for anybody that isn't a Democrat. Yeah, it's, it's really uh, – this is really amazing uh, – The New York Post has published photos of a Delaware federal subpoena that detailed the FBI seizure of a laptop and a hard drive. When asked what he hoped would come of the information once it went public, Isaac, the owner, said he was uh, ambivalent. Uh, He acknowledged the current political landscape and played a role in his actions and specifically referenced Trump's impeachment as a motivating factor. Quote, I want it above all. I wanted safety and security. I wanted anonymity. Well, he didn't get that. I wanted just to be able to wash my hands of it and like it never happened, and that did not happen. In the email published by the New York Post, 
an advisor to the board of Burisma, thanked Hunter Biden for introducing him to then-Vice President Joe Biden. Now, this is, this is stuff that Joe Biden has denied consistently that never happened. Less than a year after the meeting took place, Biden is accused of pressuring the Ukrainian government to fire a prosecutor who had launched an investigation into uh, Burisma. The email reads, Dear Hunter, thank you for inviting me to D.C. and giving me an opportunity to meet your father and spend some time together. Uh, It's really an honor and pleasure, the email reads. With that out there, uh, what do you think, Jr.? Uh, uh, if there's more of this, as Giuliani says, this could be a, this could really hurt uh, the Biden campaign. Just as people are, are heading to are heading to the polls, they're already voting now, but more people are going to be heading to the polls. Yeah, and I agree with Seth what he said earlier. I mean, if this is legitimate, if there's something there, it all needs to come out as quickly as possible. Uh, every day, every hour that goes by. Uh, more and more Americans uh, are voting. And so if there's a legitimacy to these to this story uh, and there's more out there, as Rudy Giuliani says there is, um, we, we need to see it. And we need to see it quickly. To the point of social media, you know, I appreciate it. It was actually, um, I, was, I was actually a bit surprised when I saw Jack Dorsey's tweet yesterday. Um, you know, uh it is unfortunate because, again, to Seth's point, people are going to see what they see initially, and that's going to mold um, and, and, and uh, you know, their reaction to whatever it is that's going on. I think that's what you're seeing on social media. Um, but the fact of the matter is, you know, we've seen this from social media from the get, but when Trump was elected president, it was really highlighted. Uh, if you're a conservative, if you're a, if you're a conservative and you have conservative ideas, you 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 know, you're part of the Republican Party. Uh, there is this very unbalanced uh, censorship going on from from Silicon Valley, uh, so it is very very frustrating. If this is a again, we go back to I don't know all the ins and outs of this, Dave. Uh, it certainly feels like there's something there. Uh, I have questions. Uh, you know, one is why in the world was this computer left there for as long as it was left there? If it was so important, um, you know. So there's a, there's a lot of questions that I have about this particular uh, story. But again, if there's more out there, it needs to come out as quickly as possible uh, before you know half the country's already voted. Yeah, it seems to me as I read the story that the owner of this computer shop tried to, uh, wanted to get back in touch with uh, uh, Biden and couldn't. He didn't have a phone number. Uh, And after, uh, you know, uh, 120 days or whatever, he started, uh, you know, taking it and just did some keystrokes on it. And all of a sudden uh, he started getting these emails. He says he he contacted some members of... uh, of uh, uh, some political people uh, that hold office. He didn't say who, and uh, and they didn't respond. He says that he con- uh, contacted the FBI, and they didn't respond. And so a friend of his knew Giuliani's uh, attorney, Costello, 
And so he gave it up to Costello because he understood that this was a hot potato that he didn't want to be holding on to because, and and if you read between the lines, it sounds like he said, I was feared for my life that I had this stuff. Yeah, it's 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 just a again. It just seems so odd to me uh, that you have something as sensitive as this laptop and all the information on it, and it's left at a basically a Mister Fix It store uh, in Delaware for 120 days, and then you know you have no way of getting in contact. It's very very strange. Uh, so again, I want to be sure that you know whatever we're seeing is absolutely what happened but back to the point that Seth made and that Rudy Giuliani said like if the information's out there it needs to come out as quickly as possible and if it does I agree the Biden campaign is going to be in a world of hurt because these are very serious allegations um, but if again if it's if it's real it needs to come out uh, ASAP that information needs to be released um, and and if it is it's going to be a, a, a crazy plot twist in the year that is 2020. So did you hear when I was talking about Giuliani says there is a email from Hunter to his sister saying that he's tired of supporting the family and giving 50 yeah. percent of everything he earns to his dad? Yeah. And again, if there's proof of that and he has it, it needs to come out, because if that's the case, then my, 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 the uh, picture the Democratic Party is trying to paint of the Biden family. Uh, it seems a little skewed by that fact there. So that's, that's again, it goes back to this is a very strange story. It is October. I think everything needs to be kind of viewed with, uh, uh, viewed through that lens of, you know, we're three weeks out from an election. Uh, it's October. There are surprises that come up. But if Rudy Giuliani is saying that there, there is indeed more information and pictures and, you know, emails, that needs to be released ASAP. It needs to happen today as we're talking. It needs to come out so the American people have that information. Uh, and we can actually start to have a, a, a discussion about, you know, what this is, what this means, and what's next. But right now, just saying that it's out there without being able to pull it into the public purview, um, it makes it a little more difficult. All right, we got to get a break in uh, this day in history. On this day in 1971, Clarence Thomas was confirmed to the Supreme Court of the United States. I I Mm. saw that today. I thought that was interesting when you talk about uh, Barrett uh, getting done yesterday with her testimony. Uh, With that said, coming up at uh, uh, 7 o'clock, pardon me, Uh, We're going to be talking with Diamond and Silk. They're joining me here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And then at 8 o'clock, I'm going to talk to a former student of Amy Coney Barrett from the Notre Dame Law School. That's all coming up today here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Plus, I'm going to keep my eye on the news wires and on the news uh, 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 media uh, sites to see if anything more of this Hunter Biden story continues to break. It's all happening, and it's happening right in real time right now on the Dave Ellswick Show. Stand by. we got more coming your way. All right, back with you, 25 after 6. we got J.R. Davis from the Gilmore Group. We have, uh, of course, Seth Mays from the Arkansas GOP. A uh, story just appearing in the New York 
post a uh, op-ed that just came my way saying that the VP, uh, ex-VP, uh, called, quote, a lid. That means a stop to his campaign uh, yesterday at 941 in the morning, indicating he'd make no more appearances this after the story appeared in the newspaper. So reporters couldn't push him about his past claims that he'd never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. Now, the data from an old hard drive suggests that's not so. Emails revealed that Hunter introduced a top executive, Burisma, uh, the Ukrainian national gas firm on whose board he sat to his dad while Biden was in the White House and less than a year before the uh, VP pushed the Ukrainian government into firing a prosecutor who was investigating Burisma. Uh, It goes on to say, uh, the New York Post says, that the Biden campaign, nor Biden himself, have uh, denied the veracity of the story. That's damning in and of itself, because you would think if something like this came out, uh, the campaign, and and it was was false, and it just didn't exist, and whatever, uh, they'd be all over it saying that it was nothing more than, uh, you know, a, a dirty tricks thing, and they, that hasn't happened. Seth, what do you take about that? And then, Jr., you work, in, uh, work with uh, political people. Uh, what do you think about that? Don't you think that the vice president would be out, you know, um, standing at the highest place and saying this is false? Yeah, a minor thing I, I picked up on, you said at first on the Biden campaign, the Biden campaign will routinely call a lid, meaning we're, you're not going to have any other news from the campaign. Don't expect to hear from the candidate. We're essentially done for today, and you reporters can put a lid on it and move on with with other things. They have called the lid uh, more days than they have not before 10 o'clock in the morning. Okay, so here is somebody who wants to be the president of the United States who, to the public press, says, yeah, we're really not going to do anything after 10 o'clock, all right? <laughs> so between the hours of 9 and 10, uh, ask us what you want to ask us, but we're not going to do any conferences or, or anything else, which is an odd campaign strategy. But I guess if if they believe the narrative that they're ahead, uh, then they probably would rather stay in the basement and away from the press. But this story, the, the entire Hunter Biden story, just reeks of the do-as-we-say not as we do in that if you're a political insider, um, you can't really ever fail at life. Or if you do, you're going to fail upwards. Anybody listening to this has as much experience on Ukrainian energy policy as Hunter Biden did at the time in which uh, this offer was extended to him to sit on the board of Burisma. Right. I think it's clear to anybody the only reason he is there is because of who his dad is. And because his dad was the point person on Ukraine, specifically, we get into the the details about the prosecutor uh, who was being fired. And listen, Obama uh, policy guys will tell you, hey, this this was this was policy before Joe Biden was was given point person on Ukraine that this person should be fired. Well, if that's true um, and Biden was later made point man, then it to anybody still looks bad that his son uh, would have any interest there. And this is typically where you would divest of that if that was to exist before his dad was point person. Uh, And so it just reeks to high heaven um, of double standards. And the fact that once again, you can just always fell upwards. Hunter Biden had had absolutely no reason uh, being involved in any of this energy policy 
uh, and we, the American people do deserve answers about how he came to get that job, what his qualifications were, and what did the Ukrainians expect in having Hunter Biden on that board? We do deserve answers. All right. Uh, JR, I'll pick up with you when we come right. back, but we got a break with the, the news. And uh, after we talk with uh, JR about this story that is uh, developing as we speak, uh, dealing with Hunter Biden and these emails and uh, to his father, to his sister, and to a lot of other people, uh, we will talk about the uh, confirmation hearings as well. But that happens after the news. All right, 6.35, 25 minutes till 7, the Dave Ellswick Show. Our guest, J.R. Davis from uh, Gilmore Group. Uh, and, of course, uh, talking with Seth Mays, who is with the Arkansas GOP. Uh, he takes care of communications for the Arkansas GOP. Uh, let me just ask both of you guys, as I move away from the uh, Hunter Biden story, uh, you both are very, uh, you know, energetically involved in the election process that's going on. Uh, are things looking positive for uh, conservatives this year? I'll start off with you, Seth. How are things looking? Sure, I would say here in Arkansas, I, I think we feel very good with where we're at. We sort of we play two different games depending where we're at in the state. Here in central Arkansas, we're much more on the defensive, and in southeast Arkansas and in northwest, we're sort of on offensive to pick up either seats we haven't held in south Arkansas, southeast Arkansas, or maybe a seat that we lost in northwest Arkansas. And then, of course, here in central Arkansas, it's much more on the defensive for people like Carlton Wing or Jim Sorvillo or Carolyn Brown. So uh, I think we feel very good with where we're at. I was telling Jr. there uh, during the break, we expect a ruling today from the Supreme Court um, in regards to uh, litigation. We have filed for a House seat out of Phillips County, out of the Helena area. And I think we feel pretty good about our case there. That would be the first time a Republican has ever represented Phillips County since Reconstruction. So here in the modern modern age, we'll, I'll knock on something now that I have, have forecasted that. But I, I think the case is, is pretty clear cut. So I think we feel good here in Arkansas. Nationally, I just think there's a lot of concern. I think it's Pennsylvania. You have until November 10th for your absentee ballot to have made its way to be counted. That's a long time, you know, from Election Day when you really think about it. And I think we're going to be in a national limbo. I don't not only do I not think we don't know the night of the election or really the morning after. I don't know that three, four days later where we know any more than we did on election night. And that's of concern. But I feel good about where we're at in Arkansas. All right. How are you feeling about it, uh, Jr.? You're you're, you know, working in different races. Yeah, I don't yeah. expect you to say what you're thinking specifically, but overall, generically. Yeah, I feel good. Uh, I think, you know, Seth made a couple of good points there about some pickup opportunities for the GOP, especially down in southeast Arkansas. Uh, we've got Ben Gilmore, uh, Republican candidate, running against Democrat incumbent Senator Eddie Cheatham. Uh, I think that's going to be a very close race. I feel really good about it. Um for Ben, you've got Howard Beatty, uh, who's running against Leanne Birch for District 9 in the House down in, in, in the Crossing area. Um, so, you know, I feel really good about those two opportunities. And then, of course, um, you know, I think uh, naming another race, I think Jed Duggar 
uh, up in the Springdale area has a really good shot uh, at uh, pulling that seat back into Republican control. That's, of course, Megan Godfrey's seat up there who beat Jeff Williams in the last uh, election uh, by a razor-thin margin. So those are three races I think that uh, Republicans are watching uh, and really good pickup opportunities. Uh, as far as, you know, of course, French Hill uh, running for re-election against uh, State Senator Joyce Elliott, I feel really, really good about that campaign. Um, of course, we are working with uh, Congressman Hill on his re-election bid. Uh, but I think, look, the message of, you know, cutting taxes, strengthening Medicare and Social Security, uh, workforce training, affordable health care while protecting those with pre-existing conditions. That message is resonating with voters um, and and people are, you know, coming, uh, um, you know, coming to grips with the fact that Joyce Elliott is just too radical for our state. Uh, she would basically be another AOC uh, in Congress. Um, she has raised taxes uh, taxes on Arkansans numerous times. Um, she has some ethical issues uh, that I think we'll continue to find out uh, as we get closer to uh, the election. So um, I just think now, Dave, I feel really good about things. I think the base is coming home uh, to Congressman Hill, and you're really fighting for that 3 to 4% of independence. Uh, and at the end of the day, I think that they appreciate the job French Hill has done in Congress. Uh, and, I'll think, and I think at the end of the day, they'll be more than willing to send them back. Well, Congressman Hill and I, of course, he appears on my show every Wednesday at about 7.05, and we talked about a lie that has been floating around by the Democrats uh, for a long time, not only against Tim, but against every other Republican that's running for re-election, as well as the president, that somehow uh, Republicans are going to uh, cut Social Security and Medicare uh, to yeah. uh, elderly uh, folks here in in uh, the United States and in Arkansas specifically, yeah. and that's just not true. It's not true, and here's the thing, Dave. Uh, you know, this is it, it, this this one's a pretty easy onion to peel back. Uh, the Democrats know that you know there's a there's a choice uh, sort of faction of people that vote every single election, and that is those 55 and above, right? Those are the adults. That's sort of the the sweet spot uh, in the electorate. You know they're going to vote. So what scares that age group? That you know, Democrats or Republicans are cutting Medicare and Social Security. It's this scare tactic, and that's the reason they're doing it. There's absolutely no basis for it. It's completely false. In fact, and again, a lot of this, Dave, hinges on the Tax uh, Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. Democrats say that Republicans passed this uh, and paid for these giant tax uh, cuts for the wealthiest Americans by cutting Medicare and Social Security. That is absolutely false. In fact, the Congressional Budget Office, which is a nonpartisan, uh, uh, basically, uh, um, you know, arm of the government that literally takes black and white figures. There's no analysis. It's just basing everything on the tax structure. Um, and their forecast after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was passed shows that Medicare and uh, uh, solvency actually improved and Social Security was strengthened as a result of $300 billion uh, being added to payroll uh, uh, taxes 
uh, about a trillion over a 10 year period, which of course goes into pay for Social Security and Medicare. So, you know, the Democrats have this lie that they're just peddling uh, in every race in America, and especially here in Arkansas, where you see it with Celeste Williams against uh, Congressman Steve Womack up in the third. You're seeing it in the second district uh, against Congressman Hill. But it's just an absolute lie. Uh, the TCJA also cut taxes for every income bracket uh, in the country other than the absolute lowest. And, of course, they're already paying the lowest. So there's just a lot of things that, you know, uh, candidates like Joyce Elliott and the Democrats just choose to leave out, uh, you know, these these important facts that voters should know. But if that's all they've got, Dave, and that's all they've got to work with, uh, I feel really, really good uh, about November 4th. Well, you got the whole thing that came out just yesterday that uh, in 2021, Social Security will uh, recipients will get a 1.3 percent raise. I mean, you can't cut Social exactly. Security and give people raises. Yeah, exactly. There's just there, it's just uh, it's really, really funny. And kind of what Seth said earlier about, you know, do what we say, not as we do. That's just the Democrats. Honestly, that might be their new uh, motto, uh, because the fact is, you know, they they love to point fingers at Republicans and say fear mongering, scare tactics. That's exactly what they're doing right now, uh, just to try to get an edge on some of these uh, Republicans. And and again, I think that Congressman Hill's record is very, very clear. Uh, I think AR2 is more than happy to send him back to Congress because he's kept his promises. He's done everything he said he would do. And when the coronavirus hit Arkansas, he's the one that stepped up. Congressman Hill's the one that led the efforts to get more than $8 billion in economic relief for hardworking Arkansas families and small businesses into this state as that virus hit. And so he has the leadership we need. Uh, he's kept his promises, and I still tend to think that Arkansans would rather have tax cuts than tax hikes, uh, which you can absolutely expect to get um, under, uh, you know, Joyce Elliott uh, in Congress and a Biden administration for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. How do how do you all feel? We got a couple of moments here. Let me just ask how you're feeling. I'm feeling good about the presidential election. I know there's a lot of people out there saying, oh, it's too close. I don't think it's going to be as razor thin as everybody is thinking. And I believe that this president gets reelected. Let's start with you, Seth, again. What's your what's your thoughts? Yeah, I I, once again, I, I am very concerned nationally with how the absentee ballots are going to work and we just haven't seen the needle move anywhere so i i, I hope it's a landslide as, as you think it is i just i just am not that certain when i look at some of the way these states are acting okay what about you uh jr we've got about uh, a minute and a half here go ahead yeah i think uh you know i don't think it looks good for the president right now um i think that he really needs to Quite frankly, I just think he needs to really focus and his campaign needs to pull a rabbit out of the hat in the next three weeks. It does feel like ever since he contracted the virus, uh, it's, I don't know, it's just been sort of grasping at straws, trying to figure out what the message needs to be. So I don't feel great about the, the president's chances. What I'm most concerned about, though, Dave, uh, is, you know, our, some of the critical House races and specifically Senate races across the country. We have got to keep the Senate as Republicans, whatever happens with the White House, because I absolutely believe if Joe Biden wins, 
uh, Republicans will have a tremendous amount of success in the midterms. We have got to keep the Senate. And I think that is the most important thing on that should be the focus of every Republican across this country is that we have to keep the Senate. And I think we can. I like our chances there better than I do, of course, uh, President Trump. But hey, look, if this uh, Hunter Biden stuff's legitimate and they're going to throw stuff out there and get more information to the people, um, then, you know, who knows? Uh, but that's what I mean, that I think the president needs a rabbit to pull out of the hat quite quickly uh, before, you know, more votes are cast. All right. Got to get our final break in. Let's do that. J.R. Davis, Seth Mays on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right. Uh, checking out uh, my news feeds to see if there's anything new on uh, the Hunter Biden story, because that's a story that I'm following uh, as as we speak. Uh, anyway, uh, the firsthand account story is the, the last story uh, that Fox has and CNN has nothing on it yet, and they won't have anything until they're absolutely forced to have something about it. So anyway, uh, that's where we're at. If you just joined us, uh story is breaking, started yesterday. It's starting to p- pick up some steam now, and that is a computer that was dropped off at a repair shop in Delaware uh, that belonged to Hunter uh, Biden, uh, has emails on it that are pretty damning about when the vice president, the then vice president, met with Burisma uh, executives, uh, money that was paid to Hunter Biden, uh, an email that uh, Hunter sent, uh, allegedly uh, sent to his sister uh, that said that uh, he was tired of supporting the family and that uh, he was tired of giving 50% of everything that he made to his father. I mean, there's some real damning stuff here that is being talked about and the person who's talking about it is Rudy Giuliani. He's got a, he's got the hard drive now, and he says there's pictures and all kinds of stuff. I saw him this morning on uh, Maria Bartoloma in the morning uh, on the Business Channel on Fox, and uh, he was talking about it. Now I'm sure that he was over on Fox and Friends as well. Can't imagine that they'd have it on the Business Channel and not on Fox and Friends. So we'll just keep our eyes open and watch for the new stuff that comes out about this because he's saying that he has pictures, uh, incriminating pictures of, uh, of Hunter and kind of uh, insinuated with the vice president. So we're going to have to see how this all plays out here uh, in, in that story. Last story I wanted to talk to you guys about uh, the uh, nominee for the Supreme Court that uh, the president put up. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett finished up her testimony yesterday at the confirmation hearings. And I got to tell you, I think she did better than any nominee I have ever seen. What say you guys? We'll start we'll start off with Jr. this time. What's your take on it, Jr.? Oh, she's I mean, she's phenomenal. Uh, She has done an exceptional job. Uh, through uh, these hearings, through the questioning, the constant uh, politicizing, everything she's ever done. Uh, look, for any Democrat that's surprised as what as to what's happening here and that this is being, you know, quote unquote, pushed through, that's like watching the movie Titanic and being surprised by the ending. You know, I mean, like <laughs> this thing's happening. It's going to happen. Uh, and I think it's a tremendous pick. 
and the thing that makes me feel so good about all this, Dave, is that it's not just cramming through some, some you know, uh, Supreme Court justice that has no business being there. I think she is going to be one of the most brilliant minds when it's all said and done uh, on the court that we've had. And so, I mean, again, I think her poise throughout these hearings, uh, her ability to, you know, sit there for hours and not make any sort of face and some of these just ridiculous questions from Democratic senators, uh, and then to be able to answer some of the more pressing questions from someone like Kamala Harris, who's, uh, you know, running for the VP spot. And we knew every question she asked was, it wasn't going to stop the train. She was just trying to politicize it. And I thought uh, Barrett did an exceptional job handling all of that. Yeah, I, I, I tell you, I've been more than, uh, you know, uh, taken by her testimony. My my favorite uh, visual optic during that uh, was when she was asked about why she didn't have a binder in front of her about two, half, two and a half inches thick so she could recall what she had said about different cases. And the guy said, what what are you using? And she held up a blank, uh, you know, legal pad that didn't have anything on it everything yeah, she a, was saying to them was off the right out of her brain it's unbelievable like that that might be one of the more unbelievable things that i've ever seen that was that was just in, in, incredible seth how do you feel about how the uh, confirmation went well i think i feel like both of you do you know amy coney barrett is rated well qualified uh, by the american bar association which uh, course isn't exactly like uh, most of these institutions just a conservative bastion she's clearly qualified if you listen to her talk about the law about originalism about textualism as it relates to statutes uh, i think the american people if they were listening to her exchange 20 minutes with diane feinstein yesterday learned as much about the idea of severability as you will ever hear about that issue okay so it was yeah. she is clearly a very knowledgeable law professor it, and that comes through. I, a little plug, you said you're going to have diamond and silk coming up. It occurred to me. I, I think Jr. and I are more like graphite and burlap, okay? I, I think we're a bit <laughs> bit rougher than they are. But somebody who was not rough was Amy Coney Barrett, clearly well qualified. Um, and, and as you guys pointed out, recalling all of this from memory, it is her job. We've been blessed with great Supreme Court picks. I think back to Neil Gorsuch, who has – about some of the most accessible writing um, of any jurist we've ever had, maybe Antonin Scalia, whose seat uh, he is sitting in, it's now his seat, uh, perhaps. But I expect Amy Coney Barrett to be a conservative stalwart on the Supreme Court. And, and just the way in which she had to educate so many senators about what the law is and how you ought to approach it. Everything they were arguing are legislative political points about what ought to be done to protect legislation. That just isn't the job of the court. The court doesn't start with an issue and say, great, here is where we're going to end. Now, how am I going to get from where I am to where I want to be? No, you start down the road of fact-finding, and eventually you're going to end up somewhere. And it may not be where you thought you would end up, but that is where the facts took you. So I I go with wildly impressive, deserving to be on the Supreme Court, will be on the Supreme Court, and the American people are better for it to have a judicial mind like that with a lifetime appointment. Yeah, I'm going to be interested... Yeah, go ahead. Quickly. Uh, who's, which one of us is Burlap? <laughs> Let's flip a coin. 
Sounds good. All right. Uh, JR, have fun getting away for a couple of days. I'll talk to you next week. Seth, I'll uh, I'll just stalk you for the weekend. How's that? <laughs> right back at you. All right. Talk to you later, All guys. Right, thanks thanks so much for your thanks, time. Sir. Appreciate it. Hey, coming up after the news, Diamond and Silk. You just heard JR referring to them and uh, Seth as well. They will join us at uh, about five or six minutes uh, after seven. And then one of Amy Coney Barrett's law students from Notre Dame uh, Law School will join us at eight o'clock. And then we'll talk about 40 days of life. That's coming up at 835. It's all happening right here on 101.1 FM, uh, The Answer and The Dave Ellswick Show. minutes after seven they are ready to go i promised you diamond and silk and they will be part of the dave ellswick show over the next about 30 minutes and it's great to have them with us hey full disclosure just so you'll know they got a new book out came out in august it is called uprising who the hell said you can't ditch and switch the awakening of diamond and silk it's published by regnery Regnery is the book publishing arm of Salem Media, uh, who owns my radio station. Uh, but I, I've had these these ladies on before they ever were, uh, you know, publishing a book with Regnery because they are fantastic people. Uh, they are a breath of fresh air of people getting out and, and speaking uh, to the people of this country about some very, very uh, uh, big issues and biggest issue happening right now, guys, is this story breaking now about Hunter Biden. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Wow. Well, you know, first of all, I, I, I am just taken aback about pictures showing up with him with a crack pipe in his mouth. How did that happen? Like, why would he take pictures of himself with that? But not only that, you know. This email that was, I think, found on the computer about mm-hmm. um, Joe Biden and um, him connecting Joe Biden to this Ukraine, whoever this person was. Mm-hmm. But Joe Biden openly admitted that, oh, my God, no, he wasn't in Hunter's business. He didn't know anything about this. Right. Now it was coming out that this could be true. Okay. I think it's sad. Let me tell you what I think is sad. I think it's sad that 
a vice president was selling our country out down the drain. That's right. For his own profit and his own gain. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. I also think it's sad when you have social media like Twitter and Facebook censoring these stories Mm -hmm. so that the public don't know about Jim Crow, Joe Biden's past and and his kickbacks and his paddywhacks, him and his son. I think that's also sad. I think that's uh, interfering in an election, Mm -hmm. and I think somebody needs to be held accountable. And it's also sad that the media is not reporting this, because if the shoe was on the other foot and if this was President Donald Trump, the media would be all over this like flies (laughs) on you know what. Uh Uh-huh, if this was him or his son. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they'd be on it like white on rice. How's that one? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We can say that one. But, yeah, Yeah. it's it's really uh, tragic. I I saw Rudy Giuliani this morning with uh, Maria Bartoloma, and he said that they have a uh, email that they will be releasing today of uh, Hunter sending to his sister saying that he is tired of supporting the family and he's tired of giving 50% of everything he makes to their father. Oh, oh, gosh. Oh, Lordy Jesus, I missed that. See, okay, this is what I'm talking about with the kickbacks and paddywhacks. Mm-hmm. And see, let me tell you what I think that's been happening here in our country. Yeah. I said this a long time ago. It's like when we give our tax dollars to these other countries, some of these other countries, to me, this is my own personal opinion, I believe they send this money back. And people are getting kickbacks and paddywhacks. Yep, they send a percentage back. They send a percentage back off of our U.S. tax dollars. That's right. I think that this has been going on for a while. Mm -hmm. So why is Hunter having to give 50% of his earnings to his dad? Yeah. That, that, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm not giving 50% of my money to my mom and my dad. Seems like it's setting him up for a great retirement. Uh-huh, something's <laughs> up. Or, or he used, he had to use his, the influence, which was Biden. So That's because right. you used me, now you got to pay me back. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's, there's a lot more to this story, and... Uh, now, Giuliani says he's got the goods, and, I've, you know, I've known Rudy for a long, long time, and I've not known him to just flat-out lie to the American public. Mm. If he says he's got the goods, I think he's got the goods. i got to tell wow. you, it's going to be interesting to see what comes out here over the next uh, uh, few days. Hey, let's talk, you know, people don't realize, a lot of people don't realize that you all are sisters. Oh, yeah. And that Mm -hmm. uh, you all grew up in in North Carolina. Uh, Mm -hmm. Talk about your your past. I mean, you're preacher's kids. (laughs) Yes, we some PKs. We some preacher kids. Listen, we grew up and uh, we grew up with a mother and a father who were pastors. So we Mm -hmm. had a strict upbringing, but we also had an upbringing where we believed in faith. Mm -hmm. My parents taught us about faith feel as if the thing has already happened. They taught us you're not a victim. You're victorious. Mm -hmm. Go out here and achieve whatever you want to. If you can believe it, you can achieve it. That's that's what we were taught when we were coming up. And so we may have had to uh, 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 get cheese like everybody else, you Mm -hmm. know, be in the cheese line, but nobody knew that. Nobody knew that because we were never victims of our circumstances. That's just how it was. That's right. And I really appreciate our parents for instilling that type of, uh, of, of motivation, that type of, of, of uh, inspiration in, inside of us. And another thing that's missing in today's society is moral and values being instilled into our children, um, understanding to respect your elders, 
um, understanding to respect uh, America, mm-hmm. uh, the land of the free, the home of the brave, to respect the flag. Um, a lot of stuff is really missing in today's society. But our parents instilled that in us. They basically gave us the tools that we need to be able to uh, be here for such a time as this. Right. So talk about your mother, because your mother has a unique story in that her family was a sharecropping family, Mm -hmm. right? Talk about that. Mm -hmm. My parents, well, my mom, her parents, she grew up in sharecropping, right? Mm -hmm. And to me, sharecropping was just another form of slavery. That's what it was. That's right. And so she she grew up in that. She grew up in a house with no running water. They had a wooden fireplace, Mm -hmm. um, a tin roof on the top where you were raining inside. You know, and her growing up like that, she did not want that for her children. Mm -hmm. She did not. And though she was strict, Mm-hmm. Her and my father worked very hard, so we would never have to experience living in a house with water coming in over our heads right. or, or not having a bed to lay in or not having food to eat. You know, she didn't want us to experience that. And so looking at her grow up as a sharecropper, looking at how she overcame that, looking at how she um uh, took a job at Sand Hills Furniture Factory and that's how she got the furniture in her in her own home that she was written at the time when her and my father met. Mm-hmm. And then they went on and and, and to, to to buy their own home. It's just the story behind her past. Um it makes it so unique. Mm-hmm. So I like my mother is just one of those stories that is just like a phenomenal story. She did not want to be a circumstance of her past mm-hmm. and she did not want us to experience what she experienced. So her and my father worked hard, so we would never have to experience that. Yeah. And we appreciate that today. I, I really think, I, I mean, this is why I, I respect you all and, and, and the stories that you tell and, and the thoughts that you think and the opinions that you express. Yeah, you came up the same way I did. Look, my dad uh, went into the coal mines of West Virginia when he was nine years old because his father walked out on their family mm. and he suddenly became the man of the household. And he, he, won't, he worked in the West Virginia coal mines uh, for 10 years. He had a third grade education and he was a great man. I mean, his third grade education was uh, as good as any Ph.D. that I know. And wow. he wanted to make sure that us boys uh, got an education, uh, that we worked hard. Uh, he instilled a great work, work ethic in us, and uh, my mother instilled uh, faith in us. My grandfather was a Southern Baptist preacher, and it seems like to me that uh, you and I uh, share a lot of the same upbringing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and th- those morals and those values, like Silk said, that's missing today mm-hmm. because it seems yep. like our young people are not getting that. They don't have any respect for our country. You want to kneel on the flag. You want to pump your fist as if you was a slave, but you was born free in this country. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make any sense. So I, I just appreciate our raising. I appreciate our mother and our father. And you know what? I am sort of glad that we didn't grow up with the technology that they have today. Because so that, I right. believe that that would have probably ruined us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you on that. I really am. I'm glad that I don't have to face some of the, the trials and tribulations that young people uh, 
face today. Our guest, Diamond and Silk, you've seen him on Fox. You've seen him at Trump rallies. I've seen them at uh, Hold Your Feet to the Fire. I've seen them at CPAC. Uh, They've been integral parts of the conservative movement over the last five, six years. Uh, they got a new book out. It's called Uprising, Who the Hell Said You Can't Ditch and Switch, uh, The Awakening of Diamond and Silk. And we'll finish up our uh, interview with them here in just a moment. There's some uh, great things that I think that uh, when I ask them the questions, you're going to hear from them when we return. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget about our good friends at uh, PI Roofing. you got a roof problem. Now's the time to call them. We're going to have a long, dry period. It looks like no rain for you know a week or two. Uh, now's the time, if you've had some problems with your roof, that you give them a call at the same number I call them at, by the way, 707-3551, 707-3551, and get them to come on out to your house, check out your roof, and, and tell you where the problems might be. You might need not need a whole new roof. You just might need a, a small area, like I did when I had a leak here about two months ago, and they came out and fixed it. They'll come out and look at it while you're not even here. So you can do the whole social distancing thing, and you don't have to worry about it. Again, let me they got a great price as well. Price uh, you'll be really enthused about, as well as they'll deal with your insurance company. That's uh, PI Roofing, 707-3551, or on the Internet at piroofing.com. Diamond and Silk continue on the Dave Ellswick Show when we return in just a moment. All right, we continue with our uh, interview with Diamond and Silk here on the Dave Ellswick Show. It's good to have them on with us. As you, As I've told you, you know, I've... I've had them on personally and hold their feet to hold their feet to the fire. I think we had them on one time at CPAC. Uh, they're they're great great folks. Really, they they just talk straight truth to everybody. Now you guys were Democrats up to 2015. What was it about Trump that made you switch? Well, you know, he was a businessman. He wasn't a career politician. Mm -hmm. We had been dealing with career politicians for decades, Mm -hmm. and nothing was getting done. So we saw a man that said, hey, you know what? I'm a businessman, but um, I'm going to secure this border. And the first thing we thought, don't you secure your house? Ain't the White House secure? Mm -hmm. Then America House should be secure. And then he said, I'm going to bring back jobs. And we thought, why would our government officials outsource our jobs and leave the American people riding dirty with no jobs? Remember, Obama said you will have to wave a magic wand for these jobs to come back. Well, I guess President Trump must have been the magic wand because those jobs started coming back. And then he said, I'm going to bring back spirit. So the things that he was talking about, we absolutely loved. Mm-hmm. And that's why we, you could say we invented that Trump train. We were stumping for Trump before before it was even popular. That's before right. People wouldn't even get on board. We were stumping for him. Now, we were lifelong Democrats, and we found that just because you're black, it didn't mean you have to vote Democrat. So what we did, we got off of what we call that Democrat plantation. Mm-hmm. We switched our party to Republican to vote for Donald J. Trump. So if we felt all of this here, uh, excitement about this uh, the then candidate who was a businessman, mm-hmm. we knew other people felt like it. So 
we wanted to vote for him in the primaries. We started something called the Ditch and Switch Now movement back in September of 2015. We switched our party. Other people started doing it, too. That's and it right. just became a phenomenon. And it was people across the country started switching to Republican just to vote for Trump. So you can call us a Trumplican. That's right. <laughs> and not only that, not only that, we also saw in Donald Trump a man who had solutions to fix a lot of the issues issues that's been plaguing America, especially the black community. And that's why we voted for Donald J. Trump, and we will be voting for Donald J. Trump, hopefully today. (laughs) It's early voting here in North Carolina. Yes. Yeah, we can start early voting on Monday, and I'll be voting uh, on Monday. Being from outside the Chicago area where I grew up at, I always vote early and often. So this will be And in person. (laughs) I'm telling everybody to treat your vote as if it was a million dollars. If you want a million-dollar lottery ticket, would you mail it in or would you take it in? Mm -hmm. You know, you wouldn't mail that in. So treat your vote like that. I would take my vote to the poll, and I would go and I will vote in person if I could. Okay, so let me tell, let me find out how you feel. I feel that Trump is going to win, and I don't even believe it's going to be as close as I keep saying it's going to be. How how do you guys feel about this? I, I think it's going to be a landslide. I do mm-hmm. think he's going to win. Let me tell you something. The prosperity that Americans have experienced up under this president, this president now has a track record. That's right. Low unemployment, home ownership at an all-time high, opportunity zone. First Step Act, giving people a second chance, giving more money to HBCUs than any other president in history. And the list goes on and on and on. Now, when you compare his record to Jim Crow, Joe Biden's record, who's been in government for 47 years, mm-hmm. have not done one thing but taking those kickbacks and those patty whacks. Yes. Uh-huh. Do we still own the Statue of Liberty? Because I'm telling you, <laughs> it's a lot of America. America been sold down the drain. Mm-hmm. But what has he done for the betterment of America in 47 years? He can't take Donald Trump's plan and act like it's his plan. The only thing Jim Crow Joe plan to do is do nothing. Because he right. ain't did nothing in 47 years. That's almost half a century. That's right. So what will we give him for years? That's so right. what we're looking at is track record. I'm going with the businessman. We're not going to take a nosedive. We're going to stick with President 45. So make sure you Vote right so you won't get left. Vote red. R-E-D. <laughs> Remove every Democrat. Vote for President Donald J. Trump. Right. We have to take back the House, mm-hmm. keep the Senate, mm-hmm. and keep the White House. That's right. Well, can I use that red thing? That was pretty yeah, good. Remove every Democrat. I like mm-hmm. that a lot. Uh, for my listeners, and this will be my last question for you all, then I'll let you, 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 you get on out of here. And if people go to my website, to my Facebook page, We've, we're going to put their picture of their book up, and if you click on it, it'll take uh, you to where you can buy the book and get a copy of this. Talk about your fight with Facebook. Oh, my God. We was in a fight with Facebook back, I believe, in 2017 yeah. when they started censoring our conservative voices, mm-hmm. trying to hide icons, hide our content, 
um, stopping people from liking and following our pages, just doing all kinds of dandable things. You know, I think it was because maybe we thought outside of the box. We were two black chicks who was down with politics, mm -hmm. uh, conservative thinking, and they didn't like that. See, their job, I guess, or their narrative is they want to paint you how they want you to be, and if you think outside of that, now they want to censor your conservative voices. We told the world, was it back in 2017 that we were being censored on social media? Mm -hmm. You had those on the left and some on the right talking about, oh, it's a hoax, it's not true. We were able to prove it because we went up there on the hill in 2018, uh, in 2018 mm -hmm. to discuss this here with Congress, mm -hmm. okay? Now all of a sudden, look, all of these conservatives are being censored. Stories are being censored. These people have been doing this here. They started doing this here right after President Trump became elected because they were upset mm -hmm. that we used those platforms to push our message. Understand, they did not have Diamond and Silk in the media back in 2015 and 16 because they knew they could not take and swindle us. They mm -hmm. couldn't hoodwink us. They couldn't bamboozle us. And they could not talk us out of how we really felt about the candidate, Donald J. Trump, because we loved right. him. And All so right. they moved us out of the media. And so no worries. If you can't beat them, then join them. And that's what we did. We started our own <laughs> social media platform called Chatted, mm -hmm. C-H-A-T-D-I-T dot com. Yep. There you go. The name of the book is Uprising, Who the Hell Said You Can't Ditch and Switch, The Awakening of Diamond and Silk. It's a must read. I know that we're still a month and a half away from Christmas or two months away. I'm just telling you, it'd be a great Christmas present. Pick this up now. One copy for you and then one copy for all your friends and uh, give it at Christmas time. Ladies, thank you so much again for the time. It's always a pleasure to have you on the Dave Ellswick Show. And the folks at Little Rock say, have a great day. Oh, thank, thank you, you for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. All right. Bye-bye now. That's Diamond and Silk here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We got Rush coming up here in just a moment. Another great conservative vo voice here at 101.1 FM, The Answer. After that, I'll be back with you. I've got a half hour. I want to sit and just kind of talk to you about uh, What's going on as far as the news is concerned? I'll bring you up to date on the Hunter Biden story. That's next, coming up here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Hey, 25 minutes uh, till 8. Again, my thanks to uh, Diamonds and Silk. Uh, Diamond and Silk for joining us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, I forwarded the information about the book to Elizabeth. That will be posted on my Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash Dave Ellswick Show. Just click on the book. It will take you where you order it. And uh, it is a good read. It's a fun read. And uh, you'll be amazed when you read in the book about how a lot of different people uh, approached them and tried to buy them off uh, and not be uh, Republicans and uh, be Democrats and come back over to the Democrat side and offered them a considerable amount of money to do it. Uh, let me remind you about my good buddy, Eric Coleman, over at Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. This is, uh, look, Eric is an artisan. He's a jeweler, but he's an artisan. He really can take a piece of jewelry and make it special for the person that you're buying it for, whether it's a man or a woman. Uh, he is very, very good at this. Uh, you will uh, meet with him. He'll talk to you about the person. Uh, as you design this piece of jewelry, you'll sit by a computer in his uh, 
his uh, business location, and you'll watch the piece of jewelry take shape in 3D so you can actually see what it is that he's designing for you. And when it comes to if you want diamonds in it, he can get you the best uh, price on diamonds of any other jewelry uh, business that I know of in, in Little Rock. Uh, he won't just save you hundreds of dollars on diamonds. He'll save you thousands of dollars on diamonds. And that's why you should always talk to him when you're looking at, you know, uh, wedding bands and looking at uh, engagement rings and things of that nature. Don't spend money you don't have to spend. Only spend what's necessary to get the beauty that you want. And you can get it through Eric Coleman at uh, Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. They're located 3000 Cavanaugh. Uh, right here in Little Rock, and call them if you want to make an appointment, uh, 501-246-3655, 501-246-3655, that's the number for Hillcrest, and then I'll get uh, I'll get him on here in the near future, and he can talk about diamonds, and, and he'll say, you, I know you. there's a lot of you out there that think, well, I can go on the internet, don't do that, the Chinese uh, have fake diamonds everywhere. You'll think that it's a real diamond, and then you're going to get it, and you're going to find out it's not. It's just a real expensive piece of glass. Keep that in mind. All right, let's get back to the show. If I'm not mistaken, Robert Steinbach has joined us by phone. Is Robert there, Heidi? I'm here. You are. He's here. All right, Robert, thanks for joining us. Uh, I just called Robert, asked him to come on. Uh, because, first of all, I want to talk to him about Amy uh, Coney Barrett. Have you ever seen anyone? Now, Robert, I've been watching uh, these, uh, uh, you know, confirmation hearings for a long, long time. And I can honestly say she really wowed me. I always knew she was a great choice, but it just amazed me how well she did. Uh, in front of all of these senators, and the one senator who asked her where her her uh, three-ring notebook was with about two and a half inches of information that she could flip through and and uh, quote uh, from cases and stuff, she didn't have one of those, and he asked her why and what did she have, and she held up a blank uh, pad of paper. Unbelievable. Everything she said, she said from knowledge. The lady was incredible, I thought. How about you? Yeah, she's wonderful. You've been doing this so long, Dave. You remember the confirmation of King Solomon, don't you? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I remember <laughs> I remember the lady uh, that came on, uh, came up before him, and he said, cut the baby in half. Yeah, I remember. Exactly. That. <laughs> <laughs> now, she's doing really a masterful job. You know, some of the previous candidates to be justices and other people who have applied to be judges. I've said to colleagues, I've said to other judges on the bench, I know several, a handful of judges on on the bench, and I've said that I thought those others were mediocre. And one of one of the judges 
who's a really smart guy, goes, well, I think that person, I won't name the person at the moment, uh, the, the, uh, the fellow I'm talking to says, well, I think that person is sort of a run-of-the-mill judge. And I said, yeah, that's what I mean by mediocre. In other words, <laughs> I'm not terribly impressed often. And if whether or not that makes me a snob or you have some other whole load of evidence to support that contention, by that I mean that there are a lot of judges who are not impressed. And then there are some, then there are some like this one, who truly is impressive. She's clearly uh, of a caliber that is in the exceptional category. She's just very smart, very quick, very humble. Uh, the total package. Now, let me be clear. I, I don't like this sort of hero worship nonsense that you see too often that it, she's not perfect she doesn't claim to be perfect and i don't claim to be perfect to be clear i'm not trying to put myself above her uh, she really is amongst the best that i have ever seen and while i may not have seen king solomon's confirmation <laughs> i've been around the block a few times myself and really remarkable she is hey do you know what happened on this day back i think it was in Oh, I can't. I don't know. I don't have the the date now. Let me let me look up the date real fast again. I gotta gotta get it so that I don't mislead everybody. Uh, where is it? I'm finding something for you. You're gonna love this. Today in history, on October 15th, uh, Mata Harry was executed. Just so you'll know. Uh, but, Interesting. Uh, who was it? Uh, it was in 1991. Clarence Thomas was confirmed to the U.S. Supreme Court. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, this I, day I didn't realize it was that late. I actually thought he was on the bench longer. That's interesting. Ninety-one. Yeah, Ninety-one. So Ninety-one. Wow. Be, be I was in law school at the time. Yeah, he's and he's the man. I mean, there's she's uh, probably I think probably right now the city member on the Supreme Court that is the most conservative. Would you agree? Yes, I do think that's correct, in fact. It's funny, uh, another colleague of mine, uh, not a law professor, another former co-worker of mine said to me that Amy uh, Comey, Comey or is it Coney, whichever, Barrett, uh, Coney. I can't stand the three names, by the way, as a general matter. Now, someone's going to call in and say that's because she married or something. I don't know. It's, all, it's either married women or serial killers, right? Why is it only those two groups that have three <laughs> names? So... <laughs> I'm just going to call her Amy Barrett. In yeah. any event, um, my colleague said uh, she may be the most impressive uh, since uh, Thomas. And I wrote back, and I mean this sincerely, and of course it's no insult to Thomas, but I think she's a little more impressive. I really do. So, yeah, she is. Um, he might say the same thing, by the way. If you've ever met Thomas, he's a very modest guy. And I think he would probably say exactly the same thing. She's very impressive. He's also very self-deprecating. He'll he make is. fun. Of, he makes fun of himself. It's hilarious. Uh, That's right. I've, I've, he's one. He's one of the few Supreme Court justices uh, I ever got to shake hands with. Uh, yeah. it, that guy is amazing. He really is amazing. Uh, with that said, uh, you know the the Democrats have been totally freaking freaking out. I mean, they think that you know you heard ACA as much as you heard ACB being mentioned. Uh, during the uh, confirmation, uh, the uh, 
the Democrats couldn't help themselves from turning it into a dog and pony show uh, for the Affordable Care Act and having pictures of people that they said were going to lose their uh, their health care and all the rest. And people have got to understand one vote does not change things that much, does not change well, things that much. I think that's right, although, to be fair, there are a handful of cases every year that are five to four. So one vote would make a difference. But what's more interesting about this case is, by the way, I'll give you a little bit of background in my never ending life that seems to copy Forrest Gump. (laughs) I know the judge personally who decided the ACA case in Texas that is now in the Supreme Court. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, of course, I'm always on the periphery of important things never involved therein. But <laughs> the uh, that case is a very technical case. And most of the comments that were made by the Democrats to Barrett about that case were simply wrong, simply wrong. And the notion that that issue has been decided or you can tell which way she's going to vote is nonsense. Now, she is a conservative, so she's not going to make up law like liberal justices do. Or like Roberts did. Well, because Roberts hewed towards the liberal side in deciding the first Obamacare case. And let me tell you very briefly what he did. There is a notion, it's called a maxim, meaning a rule But it's not really a rule. It's made up by courts, made up by judges. They say, if you can find a way to take a statute, a law written by Congress, that is on the border of being either constitutional or unconstitutional, the courts should find that way to interpret it in a constitutional way. Now, alone, that makes sense, because what does that say? It says the legislature is entitled to respect So if you can read something both ways, and remember, language always has some ambiguity in it. That's something that conservatives, frankly, are not as well accepting of as liberals tend to be. Language always has some, but how much is the question? Mm -hmm. So it says if you can, if there are two ways to interpret something, interpret it in the constitutional way so that you're not overriding the legislature, Congress, willy nilly. But right. what Roberts did is he, he interpreted it by saying, oh, well, if we find that to be a tax, then it is constitutional. I'm talking about the mandate, of course, Correct. The, the thing that said you have to buy insurance. The problem is nothing about it virtually. I, I, I don't want to overstate it. Virtually nothing about it actually operates like a tax. So in order to find it constitutional, he had to jump through a lot of hoops. That was the problem with Robert's interpretation. Yes, defer to the legislature when given two choices in interpreting a statute, but don't do it by taking language and twisting it into a pretzel. Liberals twist language into a pretzel. Conservatives generally do not, and that's where Roberts went wrong. All right, we got a break. We got uh, Robert Steinbach on. He is a law professor, Bowen School of Law. His opinions are his and his alone. We'll uh, get his opinion on what's going on about Hunter Biden and the story that the New York Post busted out yesterday. That's coming up on the Dave Ellswick Show. 
All right, seven minutes uh, till 8 o'clock, and then we'll get you some news. Robert Steinbach is our guest. Robert, what do you think about this story that busted late yesterday about uh, these emails they found on a computer of Hunter Biden's at a computer shop in Delaware uh, that uh, really cast doubt on the Vice President Joe Biden's story about not knowing what was going on with him and and Ukraine and the the damning one the email I'm hearing about is one that uh, uh, you know uh, Rudy came up with on uh, Maria Bartolomeo today said they got an email that says that. That he said to his sister, Hunter did, allegedly, that he was tired of giving 50% of everything he earned to their father to support the family. That is a damning email, uh, if, if, and they should release it immediately. Indeed, but even the ones that have been released already, Dave, are damning. And they obviously demonstrate the lie that was Biden's claim that, oh, I had no idea what my son was up to. We, have, of course, knew that was nonsense anyway, because Biden Jr., whatever, what's his name, Hunter? Hunter, Hunter. was traveling with uh, uh, Oatmeal Joe to Ukraine on the plane that Oatmeal Joe was on. The, I don't know, do they call it Air Force Two? In Air any Force event, whatever two. it's called, right? Uh, and he, Hunter was traveling with Joe, and then Joe makes all these threats to the Ukrainians, and Hunter walks away with a deal, and he got another deal from China, and he's getting paid off. There's no question. He got paid a million dollars a year. That 83000 salary divided up exactly into a million dollars a year. For what? For what? Uh, no Ukrainian experience, no experience in natural gas companies, nothing. There was no basis to put him on that board. Well, that's not exactly true, is it? There's one basis to curry favor with the then vice president of the United States. Pure, pure cronyism and corruption in its most basic and obvious form. So I just imagine if there was something even close to this with Trump. They oh complain, right? I mean, they complain, oh my gosh, Trump brought his daughter, says the New York Times a while back, to a meeting. Not his daughter, obviously it is his daughter, but also his advisor. She's in a position which is not prohibited in any way, and the New York Times refers to her as his daughter, not his senior advisor. It's such corruption. And of course, the other corruption right now is how Twitter and Facebook are literally hiding the story. Although I think they've backed up a little bit on that because they've taken so much heat for their their obvious manipulation of the election. It's unbelievable how in the bag the major media companies and now included among them are the social media companies, how they're in the bag for the Democratic Party. Well, the story is going. It's got. It's going to have legs. That I'm just telling you, it's going to have legs. And uh, Biden, uh, they put a lid on his campaign yesterday after the story broke, and uh, he's not been available. Uh, to the media, his campaign says, hey, look, uh, there was an investigation by a couple of Republican committees, by another committee, and none of this ever came up. That's because they didn't have the hard drive from Hunter Biden's computer. Now they do. And uh, there's a lot of uh, questions out there, big 
questions, not little questions, big questions. And that that uh, picture of Hunter Biden with a crack pipe in his mouth is incredible. The whole thing is such a joke. This is the same line that Hillary used. Well, all of that about my husband has already been litigated. And I point out the hypocrisy here, which is it was it literally wasn't litigated. It was just in the press. And she, while running to be president, said, you have to believe all women when they make an accusation, which, of course, is not true. You should listen to all women or and all men, by the way, uh, and try to figure out what the truth of any allegation is. But she dismissed allegations against her husband because she didn't want to deal with them. But then adopted whole cloth, for example, allegations against Kavanaugh, when it turns out now we know from uh, from recent events that they were made by people like Avenatti, who's literally in jail, literally in jail for being an extortionist. So, uh, you know, their, their claims fall apart upon actual examination. All right. Well, we'll see you tomorrow. You'll be on with us uh, tomorrow starting at 7 o'clock. And, uh, of course, we'll pick up on Judge Griffin and his uh, saying he doesn't think that uh, Dan Sullivan's uh, uh, lawsuit should go any further. Dan says he's going to appeal. We'll talk about it tomorrow starting at 7.05 right here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Thanks, Robert. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. All right. Robert Steinbach here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We come back. We're going to talk to a former law student of Amy Barrett at the University of Notre Dame Law School uh, when we continue. And at 835, we're going to talk about 40 Days of Life. That's coming up, and we always talk about that and remind you about it so that you can be part of it. It's the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. edition of the Dave Ellswick Show. Here we are in the 6 o'clock hour on a uh, Thursday, and we got a very special guest. He just appeared on Fox and Friends, in fact, uh, just moments ago, and he's joining us here on the show. Chase uh, Giacomo, is that correct, Chase? Yes, that's correct. Thanks so much okay. for, for having me on. Well, it's great to have you on. I'm I'm kind of surprised that you're not up in Washington D.C. in front of the the senators and uh, being used as a witness for uh, the uh, the judge uh, in her confirmation because uh, this op-ed that you wrote, an unlikely mentor, is really a very positive stroke towards Amy Barrett. I mean, it says a lot about Amy Barrett as a person as well as a uh, a teacher. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I hope that, that that's what was conveyed. So it's great to hear that. It, you know, the idea was, I think that a lot of people um, accept on, on both sides of the aisle that, you know, she's one of the leading constitutional scholars of our, our time. But I don't know if the narrative that we hear so often speaks to her great character and, and who she really is. And so just trying to add to the, to the voices of people who actually know her, who have encountered her, and can just speak to her being one of the most caring, um, selfless, and, and loving people that you'll encounter. All right. For my listeners, uh, what years were you under her, her uh, tutelage? It was a, a year that you took, what, constitutional law? What a great class to take under Amy Barrett now if she ends up being a Supreme Court judge. Yeah. So, yeah, initially met her as my constitutional law professor. Uh, and you're right. It was it was truly a, a treat to, to be in that course and and to wrestle with my fellow students with her, you know, um, her knowledge and the standard of excellence that she brought to the classroom every single day. And then, you know, quickly during that year, um, I realized that she was. She, she, you know, she put her money where her mouth was. She invested in her students and their lives outside of the classroom as well. And so, um, you know, throughout the last few years, she's continually provided, you know, guidance and mentorship on a, on a variety of, of things in my life and my wife's life. Uh, but, yeah, initially it, it arose out of, out of that constitutional law course, which to this day is probably um, still my, my favorite one to, to think back on. Well, I, I think it's um, number one. Being, a, I'm a former vet, not a former. I am a vet. I'm an Air Force vet, and I, I wanted to uh, say thanks for your service. Uh, you did evidently several tours over to the sandbox. Is that right? Well, thank you for your service as well. I, I did one tour. Uh, I was in Kandahar, Afghanistan, uh, in 2012 oh, as a platoon leader in the Army. Yeah, tough place to go. My son was over in that area. Uh, he was over there as in the Navy, and of course they 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 were you know doing logistics over there. He was doing most of his work outside the wire, and uh, he said, "Dad, you would not believe that place. It's it's beyond the wild, wild west." And so you you were sitting down. You go to you go to class at Notre Dame. You had just been sitting down with tribal leaders in Afghanistan. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's correct. So I, you know, I highlighted in the article just a few months prior to, to my first year of law school. Yeah, I had been holding meetings. Um, you know, my platoon kind of had a little bit of a, a, a sector, you'd call it, and we had different villages in there. So we'd go out and hold meetings and, and try to, you know, um, we were there with, with the Afghan forces and um, the Afghan army was with us. So we were trying to, to go out and just have a good presence. And so, yeah, just a few months later, I'm in, I'm in constitutional law and <laughs> I, I'm a little older than most of my classmates, I have two children at the time. Um, and so it was just a, it was quite a transition, uh, as you can imagine, from, from that place to, to being in the law school classroom that first year. So what was it like being in, under, under her tutelage? I mean, what kind of a professor was she? You know, you mentioned the Paper Chase movie in your, your uh, op-ed that you wrote. And uh, for people who don't remember that, uh, that movie. It was about law school, and it was about a particular law professor and how the students were scared to death of him. Uh, but uh, from what I'm getting from you, that is not the way that uh, Barrett ran her classroom. 
That's correct. Yeah, I think, you know, she she really just brought a standard of excellence to the classroom and she inspired. You know, I think in the paper chase, you know, the word would be fear, probably. Students yeah. are fearful uh, of going to class. I'd say um, in her in her constitutional law class, people were inspired and you just knew that you needed to bring it. And, and I think that um, of all the courses I've had in, in any um, law school setting, that was the one that people were most prepared for. And it wasn't because they were fearful, but it was her passion for the subject. Um, it was intoxicating. People got fired up about it. They wanted to learn. People who maybe never thought they'd be a constitutional law scholar all of a sudden wanted to be one. And you didn't want to let her down. You know, you wanted to have, you wanted to be prepared. You wanted to know what the court said and the court below it and, and, and what the courts had said, you know, 30 years ago so that you could come in there and really um, you know, show that you're prepared and engaged in that classroom. So, so I, I certainly think there was a standard of excellence. Nobody wanted to let anyone down or her down, but fear wouldn't be the, the word I'd use. I'd say inspired. It was, it was truly an inspiring experience, and, and I think her excellence that she brought is, is kind of what set the tone for that well, course. Speaking of teaching, she's been uh, schooling some senators this week, hasn't she? <laughs> she's definitely brought that that same prepared standard of excellence to these these hearings. Yeah, I I was really amazed. I forget who the senator was that talked about how when uh, nominees come before them, they bring like two and a half inches of paperwork in a three ring binder, and so they can go back and check uh, things that they've said in their life. That's not what this woman does. She shows up with a blank notepad. And does it all from from uh, memory? Unbelievable. Yeah, no, I, I think that's going to be one of the iconic moments of the hearing, uh, which you know I think will go down in history of you know her holding up the, the notepad and it's blank. Uh, but it does just speak to her. Um, you know, she's she's an intellectual giant, and I I think we saw that as you said. You know, everybody has binders and cases, and and they're trying to keep all this information. And here she's responding very um, accurately and precisely, and, and, and you can tell she's got a very strong grasp on, on every question they've asked, and, and yet she holds up the, the notepad and it's blank. And that's, you know, that's, that's truly, uh, I guess, speaks to, to her and, and just how brilliant of a person she is. Our guest uh, is uh, Chase Giacomo. He was a, uh, a, a student under... Uh, Amy Barrett at the uh, law school at Notre Dame. And Chase, you, you talked to the character of Amy Barrett, and uh, what better story, and I'll let you uh, tell my listeners about it. You and your wife decided to adopt, and you reached out to the professor uh, at the time and said, can you, can you help us, give us, kind of walk us through what we're going to go through and, and whatnot. And she did more than just walk you through it yeah so yeah a few months back my wife and i started the adoption process and and we knew judge barrett and and her husband had adopted two orphans from haiti and so we thought you know who better to to, to reach out to um i was a little bit worried you know she had she's sitting on the seventh circuit now just gone through the confirmation hearing and you know mom of seven so i didn't know how how much time she was going to have to pour out into that and then we were just overwhelmed with her response uh, she she gave us resources to read and and shared about her experience and and um, really just gave us a lot of wisdom and insight and it can feel kind of like a labyrinth when you when you go through the adoption process and so 
Uh, we were just we were just surprised, but I guess if you listen to what everybody's saying who knows Judge Barrett on both the left and the right, the people who actually know her, if you if you listen to those facts and and stick with the truth, you realize that's actually not that surprising because she's just known for being selfless, caring, down to earth, and she's going to pour out into people's lives whenever she has the opportunity. So it's you know right up uh, right up her alley, I guess, with with her history and what people say about her. But it's a true story. And uh, we just felt so loved by it and so helped. And, and here, I, I can't imagine a more busy person uh, than, than Judge Amy Coney Barrett. And, and uh, yet she, had, she made time. She made time for us and she made time to, to help us there. All right. So I, I guess my, my final question is, is where is Chase right now? What are, what are you doing? Uh, you were at Notre Dame. Uh, you were under uh, her teaching for a year. Um, I'm, you're a former Notre Dame Law School student. What's uh, Chase doing now? Yeah, so so after my first year, I actually transferred to Harvard Law School and finished up there. And then I graduated and immediately, as soon as I could, uh, went back home to Montana. Um, it had been uh, enough time a- away from home. And, and now I'm a practicing attorney in Montana and uh, really enjoying that and, and trying to uh, apply and learn the craft of, of lawyering. I got to tell you what you said. You know, Montana, Indiana, kind of, kind of the same. Well, I'll tell you the difference. Uh, I went up to uh, Montana, went up to Little Bighorn and some other things, and on my way over to the Grand Canyon. And the one thing that I found out is when they call that big sky country, there is a reason for it because <laughs> the sky just looks like it goes on forever in Montana. Yeah, that that's correct. I, I, another phrase that that I hear thrown around is the last best place, and and I always uh, view it that way. Um, it's it's truly a a place that if you haven't seen, you should you should put it on your list. Somewhere like Glacier National Park or or Yellowstone or some aspect of Montana. Well, Montana is a fantastic state. You've been a fantastic guest. Thank you again for your service. Thanks for your stories about uh, the judge. We appreciate it. How's it feel to to know that you were under maybe I'm, I'm going to say ninety nine percent you were under the teaching of a Supreme Court judge? You know, to be honest, it it, it doesn't feel surprising. Um, when I when I left that course, I. I just knew that this this professor was destined for for some great um, you know calling and task. Uh, it was just to see someone so brilliant, but yet so um, personable and caring. It just was unique, and you knew there was something special and different. So, while I'm I'm honored to have had that opportunity, I'm also not surprised that we find ourselves with her uh, a few days away from hopefully being confirmed to the U.S. Supreme Court. Well, good luck on your. Uh on, on your new business venture, make yourself a big name in Montana. Maybe we'll hear further from you in the in the future. We appreciate your time today, Chase. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you so much for having me on. All right. 817 in the morning here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Chase uh, Giacomo, who was a former student of Judge Barrett, uh, at Notre Dame and uh, his stories about her. That's pretty incredible story when you think about it. She was on the, uh, you had already moved up into uh, the court system and uh, he sent her a, a note about he and his wife were looking 
to adopt a child and if the, the judge had any words of wisdom and this judge turned around and poured herself into their lives again. Just, it just speaks volumes, I think, about this judge and who she is and, and what she is. We all know after watching the uh, uh, confirmation hearings this week of how brilliant she is and, and how she answered the questions that were asked of her and how she took the opportunity uh, during the time that she was being questioned to even school some of the senators uh, there on the committee uh, about different aspects of the law and did it without any kind of uh, help from a three ring binder in front of her full of, you know, you know, different papers and and historical precedents and things of that nature. She had a blank pad of paper in front of her that speaks volumes of how smart this woman is. And then I wanted you to hear how she treated this student so that you could uh, hear the character of this woman as well. All right, about 20 minutes after 8, let's get our break in here. We'll come back. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about the Hunter Biden story. I'll bring you up to that if you haven't heard about it. Coming up at 8.35, we'll talk about the uh, 40 days of of life uh, that's coming up where there will be all kinds of of uh, prayers to be answered and how you can be involved in that program. That's coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Continue here on the Dave Ellswick Show. New uh, information coming out on this Hunter Biden deal. Uh, When you hear this show at 6 o'clock, it will mean that this story has, uh, there there may be more stories. Uh, You need to keep yourself appraised uh, about this story because it's changing by the hour, sometimes uh, by 30, 10, 20, 30 minutes. Uh, this is a news story coming out uh, from the uh, New York Post. Uh, and at the time I'm reading it to you at uh, 22 minutes after 8 in the morning, uh, it has been out for one hour. And uh, here's, here's what it says. It says, Hunter Biden uh, pursued... Uh, deals in China uh, involving, and these are called lucrative deals, uh, from China's largest private energy company, including one that he said would be, quote, interesting for me and my family. Uh, Emails obtained by the Post show. One email sent to Biden on May 13, 2017, with the subject line expectations included details of remuneration packages For six people involved in an unspecified business venture, Uh, Biden was identified as chair, vice chair, depending on agreement with CEFC, an apparent reference to the former Shanghai-based conglomerate CEFC China uh, Energy Company. His pay was pegged at $850, and the email also noted that Hunter has some office expectations that he'll elaborate on. In addition, the email outlined the provisional agreement under which 80% of the equity or shares in the new company would be split equally among four people whose initials correspond to the sender and three recipients with H apparently referring to Biden. The deal also listed 10 Jim and 10, 10 held by H 
for the big guy, question mark. Neither Jim nor the big guy was identified further. The uh, email's author, James Gillier of the international consulting firm J2CR, also noted, quote, I am happy to raise any detail with Zhang if there is shortfalls. Zhang is an apparent reference to Zhang Jin Hun, the former executive director of CFC China. The email is contained in a trove of data that the owner of a computer repair shop in Delaware said was recovered from a MacBook Pro laptop that was dropped off in April of last year but was never retrieved. The computer has been seen by the FBI and a copy of its contents made by the shop owner shared with the Post this week by former Mayor Rudy Giuliani. Another email sent by Biden as part of an August 2nd chain involved a deal he struck with the since-vanished chairman of CEFC, Yi Jingming, for half ownership of a holding company that was expected to provide Biden with more than $10 million a year. Yi, who had uh, ties to the Chinese military and intelligence service, hasn't been seen since being taken into custody by Chinese authorities in early 2018, and CEFC went bankrupt earlier this year. Biden wrote that Yi had sweetened the terms of an earlier three-year consulting contract with CEFC that was to pay him $10 million annually for, are you ready for this one? In quote, introductions alone. The uh, chairman changed that deal after we met in Miami to a much more lasting and lucrative arrangement to create a holding company 50% owned by me and 50% owned by, by him. Consulting fees is one piece of our income stream, but the reason this proposal by the chairman was so much more interesting to me and my family is that we would also be partners in the equity and profits of the JV's joint ventures investment. Let me read that to you again. Is It's interesting because this would be interesting to me and my family. All right. Uh, a photo dated August 1st, 2017, shows a handwritten flowchart of the ownership of Hudson West, split 50-50 between two entities ultimately controlled by Hunter Biden and someone identified as chairman. According to a report on Biden's overseas business dealings released last month by Senator Ron Johnson and Senator Chuck Grassley, uh, a company called Hudson West 3 opened a line of credit in September of 2017. Credit cards issued against the account were used by Hunter, his his uncle James Biden, and James' wife Sarah Biden to purchase more than $100,000 worth of extravagant items, including airline tickets and multiple items at Apple stores. All right, so that's the latest. Just want you to know that's the latest, and there's more uh, to come. Uh, stick around. We've got an interview with 40 Days of Life. That's going to be next right here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We continue the Dave Ellswick Show, final half hour of a Thursday show with you. Uh, 40 Days of Life is getting ready to start 
uh, here in central Arkansas. We have a guest to talk about this. Tony Blackwell is going to join us. I always give them time on my show to talk about this uh, just because, uh, you know, you know that I'm huge as far as uh, pro-life goes. Uh, I've been involved in the pro-life movement since the 80s. Uh, it's it's great to have her with us. And why don't you bring us up to date about the 40 Days of Life, uh, Tony? Give my listeners a rundown of, of what this is, how it runs, and how they, number two, and most importantly, how they can be involved in this. Sure. Thank you so much for having me on today. Um, first, I just wonder, for people who may not have heard, 40 Days for Life, uh, and you can see more of that, 40 Days for Life on the, on the web, Um it's an organization that's been around since about 2008. It was started by a group of Catholics who uh, were very burdened uh, because of an abortion facility that had just opened in their town. And they prayed, and they felt God leading them to hold a 24-hour vigil outside that clinic for 40 days. And so they did that. <laughs> and um, it, it did bring some results. And actually... Other people started hearing about it and said, hey, we want to do that in our town. How, how'd you do that? How'd that work? You know, and so it, it, they've replicated themselves. Uh, it's, it's become a grassroots movement that's not just national, but it's international now so in a lot of other countries also. So basically what happens is twice a year, once in the spring and once in the fall, uh, we'll take a 40-day period and um, hold a, a vigil outside an abortion facility. Um, this year there, or this fall, there are 588 different cities participating. Um, and Little Rock, Arkansas is obviously one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and Little Rock does have a surgical abortion facility. It's the only one in the state, and that's where we've always held our vigil. Except this year, <laughs> this year we are not holding the vigil at, at Little Rock Family Planning. We are holding it at Planned Parenthood. Um, okay. Now, Little Rock Family Planning is still in business. They're still doing their thing. Um, there's a, a pretty good group of us that pray out there year-round on days when they have abortions, and we're continuing to do that. Um, but for the, the mass group of people that participate during the 40-day period, um, we're actually going outside Planned Parenthood. Um, most uh, people may not know that Planned Parenthood offers the abortion pill, they're open six days a week to do that. Um, so it's there's there's just a huge. Um, oh, I'm losing the words. This is this is a, a place that that we miss every year, um, and and so this year we're not missing it. We are we are there outside the Planned Parenthood clinic. Um, some places do their vigil for 24 hours. In Little Rock, we do it 12 hours a day. We figure that's. That's a pretty good chunk of time there, uh, trying to have people out there from 7 o'clock in the morning until 7 o'clock in the evening. Um, now, we take turns. It's not like someone stays out there all day long. Right. Um, and, and everyone who participates is asked to sign a statement of peace. Uh, if you if you sign up on the website, it's a little thing you read through and click to agree. If you, you know, sign up in person, uh, you know, at your church or or something like that, and you know, there's a, a piece of paper where you know you can read, and it says, "I will only pursue peaceful, law-abiding solutions, and I will not obstruct the driveway. I will not litter." You know, <laughs> basically, right. I'm, I'm going to be a good citizen. None of us are going out there to 
to start a fight. Nobody wants to be dragged away in handcuffs. It is nothing like that at all. It is, it is a peaceful, prayerful time. And that's the way it, it should be. And uh, uh, where is the, uh, the Planned Parenthood location, just so all of us will know? Oh, thank you. Uh, the Planned Parenthood opened their, their new facility last summer, and they are at 1501 Aldersgate Road in Little Rock. Okay, because I didn't realize that they had opened that new facility. I'm glad that you brought that information uh, mm-hmm. to us. Have have they have they made any mention to you guys that they'd rather you didn't show up? Have they tried to to stop you by use of the courts or anything like that? Well, because we we pray outside on the sidewalk in a public access area. Um, you know, they, they can't ban us from being on the sidewalk. Of course, there are little signs out there that says you're under 24-hour surveillance and you better basically stay where you need to be. And, um, you know, we, we want to obey the laws and, and do what we're supposed to be. Um, 40 Days for Life is is not a surprise to Planned Parenthood. Uh, like I said, it's been around for quite a while, and, and they know each other and, and fundamentally disagree on everything. So... Yeah, um, I actually saw something in the news yesterday where there was a place um, some Antifa people showed up at a 40 days vigil, and while people were praying, you know, they were just being ugly to them and all. And and you know, the thing to do in in the case of something like that is just to you know to continue praying, uh, to not respond. You know, I mean, if they come to pick a fight and and you don't, you know it. Call the police, obviously, would, would be the thing to do. I'm, I'm going way farther with this than I meant to. Anyway, well, that's all right, but I mean, you right, just, so It's you're... a public sidewalk, so, you know, right. while we are there to be peaceful, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility that others could be there also. Well, I, I, and, I and I agree with that. But like you said, this has been going on for some time, and, uh, you know, it's it's events like this that cement in the public's mind uh, this fight that is ongoing about abortion in our in our country. And, and though we haven't been able to overturn Roe v. Wade, we have been able to rein it in uh, significantly, and I believe even more so uh, in the future we'll be able to rein it in even, even more so. Uh, I mean... How long have you been involved now in the pro-life uh, movement? Um, I think about about five years. Um, okay. And uh, my, is, let me let me just stop you there. You know, for okay. my listeners, what was it that got you to be involved? Because a lot of people are against this particular uh, uh, thing, abortion in America, but they don't want to be quote. Involved, they want to keep their opinions to themselves. What made you step out? Share that with my listeners. Help them understand they need to step out and be active. Yes. Okay. Well, first, um, I'll say that I've I pretty much always considered myself to be pro-life. Um, I became a Christian as a teenager, uh, brought up in church. Our our pastor uh, showed uh, the silent scream. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember as, as a young teenager thinking, oh, my heavens, I, I can't believe people do this. I'd never heard of such a thing. Uh, you know, just a, a naive little kid from South Arkansas, I 
just couldn't believe people would would do that. It just sounded so so crazy. Um, but as far as you know, I, I, I believe I did the March for Life a couple times through my my younger years. Um, but but several years ago, uh, my friend Lori, who who goes to church with me, invited me to come out to the sidewalk and and uh, and pray with her there for forty days for life. And I never heard of forty days for life, <laughs> and right. I thought, you know, we're going to go out on the site like in public and, and pray. And she says, yeah, you know, right there where, where the girls are, are walking in, you know, to get their abortion. We're, we're going to be there. They're going to see us and, and know that we're praying for them. And my first thought is, wow, that's, that's uncomfortable. That's awkward. But because I know my friend Lori, I trust her. She's a very, a very godly woman. Um, you know, she, she's not at all on the, the fringe edge of being crazy. I thought, well, you know, I'll give this a try. And, uh, you know, God really broke my heart for, for what I saw that day as, as women coming in and going out and, and some seeming really stoic because this is just what I'm doing. And, um, I, I remember one woman, she left and I was holding up a sign at the, at the time that said, Jesus heals and forgives. And um, as she's coming out, it, it was obvious, you know, that, that she had, had had her abortion and, and, I mean, just had her face in her hands weeping, you know, and, and my heart just broke. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, I'm sure there, there are a lot of reasons that, that women uh, decide to have an abortion. And I would just, I would just think if they wanted one more, if they're thinking, you know, God, give me a sign. And if I can literally be that sign, you know, someone there praying, offering some help, um, then I want to do that. Hmm. Yeah, and and that's important for everybody to understand. Everybody that goes out and makes their presence known by being there uh, lends solidarity to the cause that this is wrong. It's morally wrong. It's not the thing that our country should be doing. And uh, this is something that's going to go on for quite some time. So let me ask you again, for people who want to be involved in this, uh, where do they go to get involved with this? Okay. Um, The easiest thing they could do is to go to 40daysforlife.com. Okay. Four zero. D-A-Y-S-F-O-R-L-I-F-E dot com. And uh, it'll, you know, you can find your local vigil and sign up there. I know that will require you to create a password and all that fun stuff. But then you'll also get the daily emails from 40 Days with updates and, and that kind of thing. And actually, let me see if I can pull this up. Um It'll tell me how many babies have been saved so far since September 23rd, which is when our vigil began. Okay. Out of all, not not just in Little Rock, but out of all the vigils that are being held, 253 babies uh, confirmed to to be saved through this time. So, I mean, that's a really cool thing to know that that you're a part of something that that is truly helping people. All right. So, how long does this go to? I mean, what's the cutoff date? Ah, well, 40 days started on September 3rd, and we will end November 1st. That is a Sunday. Um, so from 7 in the morning till 7 in the evening, you know, if you have some time, technically you could just drop in any any time. But if you sign up and we know you're coming, then we won't be scrambling to have somebody else out there because <laughs> okay. we do want to have a continual presence. 
And um, I'd also like to mention on November 1st, that evening at 5 o'clock, uh, we're going to have our our closing celebration service. It will be at the City Center, which is there by Emanuel Baptist Church. And for Little Rock folks that have been around here for a while, it used to be the Kroger on Shackleford, okay? Okay. <laughs> Emanuel bought that. They've turned it into a, a really cool community center. And um, there's a huge auditorium, so there's going to be room for social distancing for quite a quite a chunk of people. And we have a guest speaker who's coming that night, Dr. Haywood Robinson. He is a former abortionist who uh, became a Christian, became convicted for what he was doing, and now he's actually on staff with 40 Days for Life. And it, wow. it'll be November 1st at 5 o'clock. All right. We appreciate your time. We, we thank you for... Uh you know, sharing all this, and uh, I want to, you know, firmly say that you got time. You got a few weeks left here. You know, give a, a few hours of your time to go out and pray. That's all you got to do. You're going to go out and pray uh, for the end of this insidious uh, uh, act that goes on much too often here in uh, the United States of America. Tony, thank you for your time. I appreciate you being part of the Dave Ellswick Show and giving us all this information and sharing why you became active in this uh, particular uh, event. And uh, I hope that uh, your sharing of that will will, uh, spur somebody on to become involved as well. All right. Thank you so much. All right. You have a great day. All right, so uh, 40 Days of Life, it goes on until November 1st. Again, 40, the number 40, daysoflife.com. You go there, uh, find uh, Little Rock, and sign up for it, and they'd like you to do that. I mean, you can show up out there by the uh, Planned Parenthood building uh, if you want to uh, without signing up, but signing up helps them know you're coming and what time you're coming. So uh, setting up the time that people are supposed to be out there is a little easier if it's done that way. All right, we'll take a break, our final break uh, during the 6 o'clock hour. And when we come back, uh, I've got another story dealing with uh, Hunter Biden uh, that just came out uh, about 44 minutes ago uh, when I did this show uh, in the 8 o'clock hour talking about Twitter censoring a House GOP press release after the lawmakers posted the Hunter Biden story in full. That for you when we return here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Final segment of the Dave Ellswick Show for a Thursday. Uh, Quickly tomorrow in the first hour, Mark uh, Pellegrini, uh, who is a writer of comic books and writer of novels, uh, will be with us as well as uh, Dr. Tim Lim, uh, who uh, also works in the field of comics. And uh, we will talk to both of them and uh, talk about uh, culture and things of that nature in the first hour of the Dave Ellswick Show. Then Robert Steinbach, Chris Corbett will join up with us. Uh, we're going to talk about the lawsuit that Dan Sullivan has out uh, uh, about uh, the Arkansas Department of Health and the latest of that. I just got an email from him, and it looks like he wants to join us tomorrow, so he should be on uh, uh, during that time uh, 
tomorrow as well during the 7 to 8.30 time frame. I would expect to hear from uh, uh, State uh, Senator Dan Sullivan. And then to finish it all up uh, at 8.35, uh, Matt Smith will be with us. We'll talk movies uh, with him. Uh, he, the owner of all the VIP cinemas across the central part of the state. And uh, uh, I'm going to see a movie tonight uh, with Liam Neeson. It's a new movie that he has coming out. And we'll talk about that movie and other new uh, movies that are coming out here uh, over the next uh, few days. So all that's uh, happening tomorrow on the Friday edition of the Dave Ellswick Show. Now let me finish up uh, with the show today. We, we, we're down to about uh, four, four minutes or so. Uh, this from Fox News. Uh, Twitter is suppressing an official press release from the House Judiciary Committee, Republicans, after they reposted verbatim the New York Post story that purportedly showed emails between Hunter Biden, the son of Democratic vice presidential candidate Joe Biden, and a Ukrainian Ukrainian energy executive indicating that the younger Biden introduced the executive and the then uh, vice president. Uh, When uh, when clicking on the House Judiciary Republicans press release that included this New York Post story, the same warning appears that Twitter placed on the original New York Post link on Wednesday. Here the warning says, quote, this link may be unsafe, unquote, and that it, quote, has been identified by Twitter or our partners as being potentially spammy or unsafe, unquote. Further, when trying to direct message the uh, House Republicans press release, which is posted with an official .gov URL, users' messages are blocked from being sent. Twitter, in that case, shows users a message that says, and quoting from them, this message looks like it might be automated to protect our users from spam and other malicious activity. We can't complete this action right now. Please try again later. Uh, The story goes on saying Twitter is also blocking users from tweeting the link to the press release. In that case, Twitter tells users, quote, we can't complete this request because this link has been identified by Twitter or our partners as being potentially harmful. Visit our help center to learn more, unquote. The House Judiciary Republicans press release was initially hailed by those on the right as a clever way to get around Twitter's suppression of the New York Post story, but Twitter is now suppressing their press release as well. These are the same actions that Twitter took against the original link to the New York Post story that has uh, was shared in the Republicans' press release. But the fact Twitter is now suppressing a press release from a group of members of Congress goes a step further than uh, what uh, has happened uh, uh, in in the past. And uh, looking uh, up the, the rest of the uh, story here and what it, it says, uh, 
Twitter on Wednesday said that it took action against the New York Post article shared by the House Judiciary Committee Republicans and one other because, quote, the images contained in the articles include personal and private information like email addresses and phone numbers, which violate our rules and violate the social media company's hacked materials policy. When it initially prevented the story from being shared, however, Twitter did not make clear why it was taking those actions. Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey said late Wednesday that the fact the company did not initially disclose why it was suppressing the news story was unacceptable. Quoting him, our communications around our actions on the at New York Post article was not great, and blocking URL sharing via tweet or DM with zero context as to why we're blocking unacceptable. So um, this story is getting uh, more bizarre and uh, more interesting by the moment. Join me tomorrow starting at 6 a.m. We'll probably have more information on this that we can share with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Hope you enjoyed the show today. Uh, we got another show for you tomorrow, and it will have just as much information as we had today. Our thanks to Diamond and Silk. Our thanks to uh, uh, Chase uh, Giacomo and others for being part of the show today. Have a nice evening. Talk to you at 6 a.m.